the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's already the third and final hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Welcome back. News Talk 710 KNUS. Late last night, this happened. Therefore, the Honorable Kevin McCarthy of the state of California, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. It's done. After the 15th vote at around 1230 in the morning Eastern time, it was declared that Kevin McCarthy had won the gavel. And then the proceedings went from there for uh, really a couple hours. And it was quite the spectacle last night, especially when you had the 14th round go in a way that didn't seem like it was going to go that way because McCarthy and others were just really confident in the votes and they had a dust up with Matt Gates, and the votes weren't there. And then they went to adjourn until Monday. And then at zero minutes, zero seconds, well, wait a second, Republicans want to change their vote. 40 plus Republicans changed their vote to no, to nay on going to adjournment until Monday. And then the six holdouts, well, all six of them voted present, including Lauren Boebert of Colorado and Matt Gates, which meant that the threshold for winning the speaker's gavel went down. And Kevin McCarthy secured it 216 to 212 as the vote. But it was after a disastrous week in many respects for Republicans at least in terms of perception, and in politics, perception is often reality. And there is a perception that Republicans were in disarray and were dysfunctional. Now, in the end, will that embarrassment prove to be for the benefit of the Republican Party, for the benefit of the American people because of the concessions that the renegades, dissenters, hostage-takers, heroes whatever you want to call the 20, eventually six, the concessions that they got, maybe, maybe the embarrassment will be worth it. I think we'll have to find out. And I think, but I think it's possible. It is a nice thing to see some of the sausage being made in the sense that there's a little bit transparency that we didn't have before as to some of the rules, et cetera. It definitely was an awareness thing. But Republicans have to play it right in the coming weeks, months, and years, next two years, in order to make this thing work the way that we would hope that it works. Let's go back to some texts. Also, your calls. Join the conversation. 303-696-1971. We'll get in a moment to the southern border. What is Mayorkas thinking? The DHS secretary. 
We'll come to that in a moment. Jimmy, you're right. Pelosi would not bring the speaker vote to the floor unless she had the votes. This act alone shows you the deceit, secrecy of Pelosi and Democrats. So here's the thing. I I get it. It, it certainly is secrecy of Democrats, but actually I think it's more about how Nancy Pelosi was able to get her caucus in line, which can actually achieve things for the agenda. Think of it this way. If you have a leader who has the respect of the conference, whether it's a Republican or Democrat conference, if you have a leader who has the respect, then what are they able to do? They're able to coalesce their party in a way where they can actually achieve an agenda to get them in line on critical votes. We need Republicans to be on the ball when the next omnibus proposal comes out. We need Republicans to be together on the border, on the IRS. We need Republicans to be together with the debt ceiling and get spending cuts in there. We need Republicans to get together on issue after issue. And the Democrats were able to do that. 2021, I've talked about it this week, there was this idea on the left to force the vote. Let's go ahead and get a vote on Medicare for all. It may be symbolic, but hey, at least we're able to accomplish getting Democrats on the record on a significant vote. Well, that was something the left was pushing for. They didn't do it. Pelosi whipped them into shape and she had the votes on the first vote. And you know what? It showed cohesion. And then Democrats were able to get a lot of bad things done in the last couple of years, weren't they? Weren't they? It's not enough to just be the principled opposition. You need to be the principled opposition together. And hopefully we will be able to move forward in that regard from here. Now let's go to some more texts. Jimmy, isn't the holdout really McCarthy? He could have ironed everything out before it came to the vote. Stephen Littleton. That gets to what I was just saying about McCarthy not lining up the votes ahead of time, not striking the deal behind the scenes and preventing embarrassment for Republicans. Now, it may not have been possible. It may not have been possible for him to do so before Tuesday because of some of these, shall we say, insurgents, or what do you want to call them? The holdouts? The... Heroes, the use your term, whatever you want to use, good or bad. Maybe it wasn't possible to get them on board without this. Maybe it was just necessary. I can't say the holdout was McCarthy because he's the guy who eventually won. And he's the guy who came in with 200 plus votes right from the start and he never got below 200. But at the same time, he did prove that he's not a very strong leader, at least at this point. I used the, ner- the, the word inept this week. Maybe that was too strong. Maybe it wasn't. You decide. But it certainly didn't bode well for him in the short run. We'll see what happens in the longer run. 303-696-1971, our telephone number if you want to join in to the festivities here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Here's another listener text coming in. 
Actually, we will hold on the listener text because it looks like we have uh, a special guest who is calling in on the line who I'm very pleased to welcome to the program. Congressman Ken Buck of the 4th Congressional District is joining us here fresh on the heels of the vote last night, 15th vote, flying back into D.C. from Colorado. Congressman Buck, welcome to the show. Good morning and Happy New Year. Good morning, Jimmy. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. Um, so let me just ask you a big picture question, sir. What's your takeaway from this past week? Well, I, I think everybody knew it was going to be tough. Uh, with a very small majority, and it was tough. And and I think a lot of uh, Democrats and liberals are trying to uh, take advantage of the situation, say that you know the Republican Party is dysfunctional or or we're in disarray. And and the truth is, this is the way democracy is supposed to work. We have a constitutional republic. We have 435 people who are representing different districts. They come to D.C. with different uh, interests and and priorities. And there's going to be argument. And when you fall in line behind Nancy Pelosi, you've got no room to talk about how the House should work. House should work in a way that uh, people are are fighting for what they believe is right. And in this case, we had uh, a lot of Republicans who uh, were were fighting and uh, passionate about uh, closing the border about uh, making sure that we are not engaging in deficit spending making sure that we examine the uh, response to COVID and other issues that are important to America. And so I think that uh, we are a much stronger party now than we were, and I think we are on the right track. So have I been too harsh to bring up this point this week? And hopefully we have gotten good that makes this week worth it because there was the, there is a perception problem, I think, that needs to be addressed, and perhaps it can be addressed. But I have made the point that, you know, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't have let this speaker her speakership go to the floor if she didn't have the votes. There was a little bit of a push in 2021 from the left flank to have this so-called force the vote thing, and she managed to squash that and then get right to work on the first vote and become speaker again. Um, is this different? Is the Republican Party operating in a way that is different and in a way that is very good and very healthy? I think the Republican Party uh, uh, is operating in a way that's different than how Nancy Pelosi ran the House. I think it will result in better uh, outcomes. I think that what we're going to see are uh, fights with the Democrat-controlled Senate over spending. And we aren't going to have a uh, an omnibus bill with a huge uh, price tag associated with it that will be passed yes. on Christmas Eve. That's, that's just not something that uh, a, a large percentage of the Republicans in this House want. Congressman Ken Buck, kind enough to join us this morning. Just one or two questions about what happened this week, and then I want to get to looking ahead at the future. Can you give us an eye into what, if you want to use the word, concessions were made by McCarthy? What was worked out this week that wasn't worked out in advance of Tuesday? <clears throat> So there, there were a number of uh, parts of the rules, and the rules are complicated. We're, we'll pass the rules at, at Monday, uh, Monday evening um, when we get back in session. But uh, there, there's something called the motion to vacate, which is uh, with the ability of rank and file members to remove the speaker. 
Uh, for 200 years, it had been a, uh, a motion that could be brought by one single individual. Uh, for the last four years under Pelosi, it would need to be brought by more than half the House. And so she changed 200 years of precedent, and uh, it has now reverted back to one single speaker can bring uh, the motion to vacate. And that's, that's an important step, and it shows uh, while, while Kevin McCarthy was reluctant at, initially to adopt that, it shows confidence by Kevin that he is going to be a good speaker. He's going to be uh, the very best he can for a diverse group of Republicans. Uh, there were other uh, rules, uh, changes that were made, um, a 72-hour rule, so every bill will be uh, examined for 72 hours. Uh, one really important, or two rules that are really important, um, uh, one is a single subject uh, rule that was passed by the uh, or that is in the rules package as a result of what we went through the last few days. Um, uh, so often we get a bill that's uh, a defense bill and you get 50 different subjects that are tossed into that bill. And so uh, that combined with uh, a germane rule that says you can only um, <clears throat> excuse me, only offer amendments that are germane to the single subject uh, are really critical. Um, and then there are some other issues. Uh, there will be three conservatives on the rules committee, uh, nine Republicans serve on that committee. So there'll be three conservatives on that committee, which is important. There will be uh, other uh, conservatives that will get positions on uh, some of the uh, other committees of jurisdiction and, and all those things are important uh, uh, asks and uh, deliverables by, by Kevin McCarthy. Of course, Congressman Ken Buck, we had six present votes that made it possible for Speaker McCarthy to become Speaker McCarthy. And we had quite a whirlwind of a week. And last night there was some spectacle Give us a little bit of a of your takeaway from where the party is right now, the conference in the House, as far as cohesion, the ability to work together to thwart the Democrat agenda and to move ahead with the critical role of oversight that has been sorely lacking for the last couple of years, because it really does seem like there is some stark division among the Republicans. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. It's accurate. And that's accurate. I don't care. If you go to a Arapahoe County Republican meeting, you're going to see contrast. You're going to see division. You're going to see people uh, that, that feel differently about certain issues. You can go to uh, any Republican breakfast. You can go to any. Uh, it's just how Republicans operate. The, the Democrats fall in line. The Democrats are sheep. And we're not. We argue and we come out with the best result. And the key here is that we get together and that we. Uh, you know, there's only uh, the the possibility of four uh, people, uh, four Republicans uh, deciding they don't want to vote for a bill and the bill goes down. And so uh, the Democrats are never going to help us. They are going to stay unified and oppose every single thing we try to do. And we have to make sure that we are uh, funding the government uh, at a lower level, but funding the government. We have to make sure that we are uh, giving our troops the equipment and training necessary to protect our country. We have to make sure that we secure the border and we stop the fentanyl coming across the border. There are a lot of priorities that, that uh, we need to work on, and I, I think that uh, we, we will be unified uh, to a certain extent, but we will always have strong disagreements. 
Joe Biden, president, is going to the southern border for the very first time in two years. I want to play a quick clip. This is on CNN. Interestingly enough, they're actually pressing Mayorkas, who you have really pressed in the House when he's come before committees, uh, on the question of why in the world did it take two years for Biden to finally go to the southern border? The border officials have been consistently telling Rosa Flores, our colleague, they feel abandoned. Um, by this administration, by the federal government. So why has it taken two years for President Biden to go to the southern border? Poppy, um, uh, we have been dedicating uh, our efforts to the situation at the border since day one. Uh, We are incredibly proud of our frontline personnel who are tirelessly and selflessly dedicated uh, to the mission. The the president knows the border very well. He is... um, had his Secretary of Homeland Security visit multiple times since the very uh, initiation of the administration. And he's going to um, to see the border not for the first time um, in his um, public service career right. uh, this Sunday. That. And I'm looking forward to joining yeah. him there. But as president, to see it firsthand, the net effect. Um, Secretary Mayorkas, thank you very much for your time. Congressman Ken Buck, I mean, first of all, it is amazing that we've gotten to this point where CNN will actually ask that question. It's so bad. But my goodness, just how how inept are these people that we have and feckless in D.C.? And what do you make of Biden's trip? Well, I think he has to go. Obviously, it was the big issue in the election in November. It's an issue that the American people feel strongly about. Uh, and it's a it's one of those issues that uh, really motivates uh, voters against Biden. Um, I assuming uh, from what I hear from my Democrat colleagues that Biden is going to run again. And if he's going to run again, he wants to try to tamp down this issue as much as possible. Uh, the The reality is that President Trump had it right. We had policies in place that would have uh, severely reduced the number of illegal immigrants coming across the border. Biden abandoned those policies, mostly because they were Trump policies. And uh, the border is out of control and and our uh, overdose deaths in this country are out of control. Um, And he has to take responsibility for it. And, And we will make sure in oversight that we hold him responsible. Now, I don't know if this is possible, but I have been hoping that McCarthy would get the speaker's gavel by last night, as he did, so he would be sworn in and could potentially accompany Biden to the southern border, not in one of those bipartisan dog and pony shows, but as a means of really putting the spotlight on the actual issues that are going on in the southern border. Would you like to see that? Do you have any idea if that's plausible or might be happening? I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I do know that uh, Kevin last night in his remarks said that uh, we will be holding hearings on the southern border uh, to highlight the inadequacies of the Biden administration's uh, efforts there. And I, frankly, uh, very strongly agree with the last speaker um, on that clip that you played. Uh, I've been to the border. Uh, the people who are working there are incredible. Um, they are working uh, so hard and they are really um, uh, with, with policies that are intended to fail. And, and that's where Mayorkas is really uh, uh, committing um, uh, malpractice and, and uh, malfeasance. Uh, he, he needs to be gone, and we need to put policies in place that support the men and women uh, protecting our border. 
Two final questions for you, Congressman Ken Buck. And again, so appreciate your time this morning. Uh, on Mayorkas, in terms of he needs to be gone, is there anything Republicans can do in the House to help make that happen? Great question, Jimmy. Um, and one of the rules that the conservatives fought for is what's called the Holman Rule. And it allows, uh, and it, again, it was taken out by Pelosi. Uh, we put it back in. But uh, impeachment um, is defined very narrowly in the Constitution. And it's why I voted twice um, against the impeachment of President Trump. But we have a rule, uh, the Holman Rule, that will allow us to go into a budget and zero out a particular position in the budget. So the Republicans probably, my guess is, we will go into the Homeland Security budget and we will zero out the salary and position of the Secretary of Homeland Security. Um, obviously, the Senate will object and we'll have to fight that out. But uh, if, if there is no position, uh, Mayorkas is gone. Well, that would be nice to see. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, Congressman Ken Buck, what can we expect from the Republican-controlled House of Representatives in the coming weeks now overall with the speaker vote behind us, with the rules package that will be voted on come Monday? What are your expectations? What is the agenda? Well, I can tell you one thing. Um, I think that everybody is looking for a, a couple of weeks of low drama and uh, not having the kind of uh, issues that we faced uh, in the speaker's battle. So uh, w what are we going to be looking for? I think it's just a lot of uh, house uh, cleaning um, uh, and constructing uh, issues that are going to come up. We'll pass rules. We will uh, uh, populate committees. We will uh, have the initial meetings of the committees so that they can adopt the committee rules. Uh, there's a lot that goes into the first few weeks of Congress that's very boring. Uh, but I think uh, sometime in early February, you can expect to see uh, the kind of bills and oversight that will define uh, what it means to change the majority in the United States House. I can tell you our listeners are very eager for that oversight. And finally, uh, Congressman Buck, I would be remiss. I have listeners texting in since you did have to go to back to Colorado and then back to D.C. for a non-emergency medical procedure. Folks are asking how you're doing. Well, I appreciate that very much, and I appreciate all the prayers and, and thoughts that I've received uh, through the office. Um, I'm doing great. Uh, it was just one of those things where I uh, wanted to get back and, and see my doctor and, and not just uh, any doctor here in D.C. And so I, uh, I appreciate everyone's patience and I appreciate the fact that I uh, was able to continue to, to uh, represent the fourth and, and uh, be involved in, in this whole process. <laughs> Well, I got to say kudos to you for making it back to D.C. in time. And I'm glad that it wasn't for not in terms of the weekend where you got it done last night. So you didn't have to wait for the House to come back on Monday. You've been generous with your time, especially unexpectedly. Congressman Ken Buck of the 4th Congressional District, my friend, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us and for what you're doing in D.C. this year. Thank you, Jimmy. And, and Jimmy, one last thought. God bless America. Amen. I say that at the end of every show, and I appreciate it now more than ever. Congressman Ken Buck, thank you so much, my friend. Best of luck to you in the coming days, weeks, and months. Once again, Ken Buck joining us on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. News Talk 710 KNUS.
And so I believe that with our votes and the ones that are continuing to work on, Kevin will become speaker and we'll immediately proceed to adopt a rules package that will begin the process of implementing this agreement by restoring the motion to vacate the chair as Thomas Jefferson conceived it before Nancy Pelosi got rid of it. We're undoing Nancy Pelosi's changes to the House and we're starting right away. Did you talk to him directly? Were these sort of direct negotiations that you had? You and, and him? So understand, they began with rules change work back in, in July or August. We couldn't get any conversations for a long time, but yes, Kevin and I have personally had many conversations, and he's had many, many conversations with others as well. I would particularly give credit to Chip, uh, to uh, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, and to Chip Roy of Texas. I, I've never seen members work more effectively, diligently, and and uh, with great discipline to achieve this for the American people. Excuse me, you have access. But if your application is denied or you attempt to cross into the United States unlawfully, you will not be allowed to enter. Boy, was this week like a seesaw. Best damn bumper music known to man. Nine and a half years running on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710-KNUS. Joe Bonamassa and Beth Hart. Gotta love them. Good to be with you. We are about 25 minutes before the top of the hour, and I'm looking forward to another sunnier day. 42 is going to be the high. Partly cloudy. We've got the sun shining more tomorrow with 48 degrees. Hopefully... We will see some of that ice melt more than we have been seeing. Good to be with you. Thanks to Congressman Ken Buck for calling in in the last segment on the program. Very good to get his perspective more optimistic from Congressman Buck. And he also told us even a pathway forward with the rules package for how to potentially get rid of or at least try and get rid of Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, who was pressed yesterday by CNN, not just I played a clip of CNN asking him about why Biden hasn't been to the border in two years and really stressing that and saying that rank and file staff on the border just don't feel supported, don't feel supported by the Biden administration. They feel, in fact, abandoned was the word she used. Well, CNN also pressed him before even getting to that on if that's not a crisis, what is? Take a listen to this and how Mealy Mouthy answers this. We have seen the situation at the border uh, managed in an orderly way. We have seen it in extraordinarily challenging circumstances as well. You can rest assured, Poppy, that we're doing everything that we possibly can to build a system that provides humanitarian relief in a safe and orderly way while trying to persuade Congress to fix what is a broken system. I understand that. um, But just what you're seeing, what you've seen the 20 times you've been there, the record number of migrants at the southern border in last year was nearly 2.4 million. If that's not a crisis, Secretary, what is? 
question. Good question. You know, you know, Poppy, uh, we have seen 2.4 million encounters uh, at our southern border. Yeah. And it's reflective of the greatest level of displacement of people in the world since World War II. Okay. It is reflective of a migration challenge that mm, is gripping the entire hemisphere. Challenge. When I was is in Colombia, I spoke with the president of the country the foreign minister, the minister of security, Mm. and they spoke of 2.4 million Venezuelans in Colombia now. We are seeing Costa Rica's population increasingly uh, formed by Nicaraguans. We're seeing a tremendous movement throughout the hemisphere. Still waiting. And a regional challenge requires a regional solution, which is why President Biden has led the regional leaders in addressing it. I understand that, Mr. Secretary, but this is in the hands of you now and the Biden administration. And that's when she goes on to press him on why is Biden only going there after two years, two years of serving as president of the United States, serving, I use that word advisedly. I mean, what did he call it? A challenge? Is that what it is? Even after all this time... They simply cannot, not just will not, but cannot bring themselves to call it what it is when it comes to a crisis at the southern border. Now, will his trip be worth it? What will this trip do? Jen Psaki, who is, of course, his former spokesperson, is now an MSNBC commentator. And here's what she had to say in her justification for the trip. Trip to the border, then get him. What does it get the president? It, get, it allows him to kind of brush that away and move forward. This has been one of the biggest attacks from Republicans, right? You haven't even been to the border. You haven't seen what's happened. He's vocalized and said it's a problem. It's outdated. It's yeah. broken. We need to fix it. That's why he put forward a plan on this first day. This allows him to say, I've been to the border. I've put forward a plan. What's in your cupboard? What are you putting forward? <laughs> To brush it off, to put this behind him, to put it behind him, even outside of the administration, she's not only carrying the water for Biden, but she's using this minimalist rhetoric that denies a fact. This is a crisis at the southern border, plain and simple. It makes the cries of those who are calling out for border security now. Those cries make Tom Tancredo's calls back in the 2000s for border security seem like nothing. Of course, he was ahead of the game back then. What the hell's going on here? Here's what Biden said in his press conference a couple of days ago, where he was announcing more details on this trip. By the way, juxtaposed against Republicans who were about to gavel back in for a third day. A third day of debate over a leader. Take a listen. In fact, today I'm announcing that the Mexico has agreed to allow up to, re- to return up to 30,000 persons per month who try to get caught and get sent back from those four countries or apprehended while attempting to unlawfully cross the border, the southwest border. My message is this. If you're trying to leave Cuba, Nicaragua or Haiti, you have and we or have agreed to begin a journey to America. Do not, do not just show up at the border. 
Stay where you are oh, and apply strong. legally from there. Uh, do not. Starting today, do not if you don't apply through the, the legal process, you will not be eligible for this new parole program. Mm, not be eligible. That's reiterate. not complicated. New parole you program. You need a lawful sponsor in the United States of America, number one. And you need to undergo a rigorous background check, number two. Mm. If your application is approved and you show up at, at a U.S. airport or when and where directed, <coughs> excuse me, you have access. But if your application is denied or you attempt to cross into the United States unlawfully, you will not be allowed to enter. So firm, so strong. I mean, I guess at least he's saying you will not be allowed to enter. But come on, man, to use his term. Come on, man. But we're not going to get anything strong from Biden at the border. He's going to go down there and they're going to have cleared away the area, make it look less bad for him going down there. That's what the word is. He's been doing. And come on. This is a crisis. They can't even acknowledge it's a crisis. And he's only going down there two years in. And I think it's because they want a perception. We're on top of things versus Republicans who aren't on top of things. That's the narrative they're trying to spin. Thank goodness Biden goes to the southern border with or without McCarthy. Sounds like it will be without thanks to or based on what Congressman Bucket said. But he'll go to the southern border and we will have a speaker and there won't be that question. Will Republicans have a speaker? And look at Biden. He's down there. At least that's behind us. Where do we go from here? That's the key question. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. By the way, I will be filling in for George Brockler one more time this coming Monday from 6 until 10. So be sure to tune in then. When we come back on the other side, I'm going to turn local for a few minutes. want to give you a quick heads up and raise a question about the mayoral hopefuls running. There's a football team worth, football team's worth of candidates running for mayor of Denver What's one thing they should be doing right now? We'll talk about that coming up. News Talk, 710 KNUS. Giving you some medicine this morning. It's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk, 710 KNUS. Looking forward to those clearer skies, 42 degrees. Peter Boyle's warming up. He is in the house, 9 to noon. Good to be with you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Been a vibrant show today. And again, much appreciated the uh, unexpected call in from Congressman Ken Buck this morning as well. One thing I want to draw attention to, I haven't really had the opportunity to talk about this, uh, but it is the subject of my column yesterday in the Denver Gazette. Will mayoral hopefuls speak out on Denver schools? In 2020, Susana Cordova was basically forced out of DPS. It was so bad to the point where she and she was the superintendent at the time that Mayor Hancock and former Mayor Federico Pena penned a letter calling the board dysfunctional and saying that they were responsible for Cordova leaving. Former Obama Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan blasted the DPS board as well, and 14 former board members did. And it's only gotten worse and worse since then. And in 2021, in the summer, they hire on this guy named Alex Morero to be the new superintendent. And less than six, I think less than six months later, Morero 
has his contract extended by six months, or uh, excuse me, six months later, by four years. And that was in no time, and it was three weeks after the new board was sworn in. And then what do they do? In the last couple of months, a few of the board members have been going after Marrero. They tried to go into private closed-door session. This is how dysfunctional the DPS board is. They literally said on November 28th at their board meeting that they wanted to go into private session behind closed doors because they didn't want to feed the narrative about the dysfunction of the board. When really what they wanted to do was go after Marrero. And they didn't go to executive session that day, but a couple weeks later on December 15th, they did go behind closed doors and they never actually said what the reason is for going behind closed doors specifically, which you're supposed to do. And it was a four-hour meeting, according to my sources. Four hours in a closed-door executive session. That's how dysfunctional it is. And I am just wondering, Leslie Harrod and Lisa Calderon and Chris Hansen and Mike Johnston and Kelly Bro and the rest, are they going to use their bully pulpits in any way, shape, or form to talk about this board and how poorly students are being served in DPS. The left talks about all a good game about how they support equity, how they want to improve racial equity, and yet only 5% of black and Hispanic third graders are reading at grade level, compared with 30% of white students, which, by the way, ain't good in and of itself. So are these mayoral candidates going to use their bully pulpits to talk in a way like Hancock did in 2020? Unfortunately, he hasn't done since, but he did in 2020. And will they tell us how they're going to use that bully pulpit? I'm not holding my breath. There are too many cowards in government here in Colorado on all sides and all aspects, but especially in Denver. And they're unwilling to challenge the likes of Tay Anderson, who, by the way, Leslie Harrod is one of the big mentors of Tay Anderson, the school board member at large who most definitely should not be on that board, but not enough time to retread the ground of of Tay Anderson. The point is, you've got a big problem and students are being failed and the mayoral candidates need to answer the question of whether or not they are actually going to hold their compatriots over in another. Yes, they're also elected officials, but they need to hold them to account. It is one show of many of any sort of test to whether or not Denver mayoral candidates are up to the task of governing for the people of Denver. And uh, you'll probably not be surprised to hear that I don't think any one of them is going to be up to the task. There's so much brokenness in Denver right now. But when it comes to the kids, it is it is so crucial. They've been failed because of COVID and all the rest. And I don't mean COVID itself. I mean the policies regarding COVID-19. But they need to be asked, all of the mayoral candidates... They need to be asked if they support backroom exchanges or will de- will they demand public transparency? Because this stuff that's going on in DPS, by the way, I put in an open records request with DPS for emails regarding executive session, and they rejected it, saying, oh, this is deliberative privilege and attorney-client privilege. 
I don't believe that. I don't buy those as legitimate explanations. But let me tell you, they are hiding something behind closed doors in Denver public schools. And the people of Denver should be demanding answers and demanding transparency. Unfortunately, too many have been far too quiet. And that includes candidates for mayor and city council. Well, that is it for me today. Peter Boyle's up next in just a matter of minutes. I'll be back in for George Brockler coming up this Monday from 6 to 10 on 710 KNUS. And, of course, back in the saddle for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show next Saturday. Have a great rest of weekend. Happy New Year and God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.